explore the good and the bad of storytelling from films video games and books to songs poetry music and television we will talk about all the mediums through which stories are told and how they've impacted the world we live in today i'm Stuart, and as ever i'm joined by alex hello and steve greetings so come pull up a seat and get yourself a nice drink and join us for a right good tale Gentlemen, what suppeth you on this evening? I just had some baked potatoes. Did you? And speaking of suppeth, what sippeth you on? I'm drinking. Uh, all together, kids. All together, audience. I'm drinking Adnams, but I'm drinking Tally Ho. And Tally Ho from Adnams is great. It's a little bit stronger, so I'm almost half cut. But it's really nice because it tastes like fruit. Christmas fruitcake in a drink and it's nice. nice but that does make me kind of warm and it is still quite warm so is it warm down there I'm I'm in jeans jeans I'm it's, in my pajamas it's like 16 degrees here today I've been wearing jeans and a hooded sweatshirt mm. well so that's what I'm drinking and everyone's just gone Adnams again oh, Adnams please get in contact at a good at outlook.com. Um, guys, what are you drinking? I'm drinking, um, this is really embarrassing. I've taken a photo of it, but I can't remember the name of the actual brewery, but it's called the Cream Ale. And it says it's an American style from the pre-prohibition area and remastered for the London days today. Cream Ale brewed exclusively with laurel hops for floral, herbal and bright citrus aromas. Basically, it's an IPA that's a bit more creamy, so it's like a frothy IPA. I think. 90 years old, then isn't it going to be a bit rank if it's from the program? And I like it. I think the more sediment, the better. That's going to give you the shits, mate. And if that sediment happens to be from a mafia grave, so be it. So be it. That's it. Oh, I just see that Play Where Talk Red has retweeted to say we're recording with him tonight. Is that happening? That is happening. That is, I mean, unless Steve has got some exciting drink for us. Um, I've got a very supermarket cheap black coffee, actually, if that's exciting. Then I guess you need to get out more. Oh, I tell you what, this creamy ale, you can, it tastes a little bit like a brew dog float. Does it taste like sort of um, cream soda, which is one of the best drinks of all time? No, it's maybe it's because I've just eaten a New York style vanilla cheesecake with some cream, but it tastes like, hang on a minute, let me have a little sip. Yeah, so it's like brew dog, like kind of like dead pony, a bit stronger, like with a, a creamy aftertaste. It's quite nice. It's a creamy dead horse, everyone. Um, wow. I'm, I'm not completely up to date with the modern beverages. Is, uh, is that actually a drink or are you talking about an actual dead animal here? No, dead, dead pony is brew dogs like, what is it? Is it like their entry level ones, Stu? Like their session IPA, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what is this? Is this a sponsorship session for ales? Well, yes. Yes, yes, it is. 
Brew Dog, Adnams, or cheap Tesco's coffee. You know how the we intro to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. The intro yeah, to the same. podcast is us chatting shit, and we want to chat shit about beer tonight. So, I like an yeah. entry level lager, is that like an access course or something. So it's like it's like their sort of gateway drug into their stronger ones, like Elvis Juice, which is like a seven percent um, grapefruit IPA, which is really nice, but it is pretty strong. Oh, I'll tell you what, boys. When the current global pandemic is over because i'm aware if you mention it you immediately get demonetized from anything so we're going to call it the current global situation um come up my way um again i won't mention where i live because then people will stalk me I Turn on scarborough um, come up my way yeah to scarborough and i will treat you both to a drink called the Dutchois de bourgeoisie the Dutchois. it's a the duchess um okay which it tastes like pickled onion i know immediately a lot of people are going to be like why is that a good thing trust me it's is amazing in the arcade tavern it is it's about eight or nine percent. is it so i only i used to drink there my friend george used to get this bacon ipa from there and it was fucking yes. lovely or you've got um the harlequin the jester the belgian beer which is about 15 percent and the yeah. first time i first time i got recommended it by someone i work with so i went in there and i said i'll have a pint of the and i can't remember what it's called and the guy behind the bar was like a pint and i said yeah is it delirium delirium that's the one it was like a pint yeah and my he, friends and I, used to all drink that it's yeah. too strong what are you talking about a pint of course i want a pint what do i look like do i look like and, a mug to you sunshine do i look like i'm taking a piss because i'm not and he said that'd be nine pounds <laughs> hold on there hold hold on, your well, no, this is the thing. This this delirium is so strong that they only sell it in half pints, but they didn't yeah. tell me So I ended up having a full pint of it for nine quid. And, well, let's just say I ended up married. So, um, <clears throat> quickly moving on. So it was a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he married it's the a, bouncer. It's a nice romance story. That's going to be my next book. It's going to be like, um, what's that film with Richard Gere? The hamster one. Pretty um, Woman. Yeah. Pretty Woman. Did you know the uh, original title for that was called Hooker Got Lucky? That's a better title. I can see why they changed it. No, <laughs> come on. Can you imagine if they tried to release that in 2020 or the, um, or the backlash we would get? Not we as in they would get, actually. That would be terrible. Wouldn't we wouldn't it? get any backlash from it. Well, we would, because they're our sponsor this week. This week we are sponsored by Hooker Got Lucky, the original title for Pretty Woman with Richard Gere. <laughs> so... I suppose now Alex has already mentioned that we've got a special guest on play where taught red. So having done our intro, which I know is everyone's favorite bit, let's crack on. So there we go. Following on from that drink fueled introduction. Um, sorry to bore everyone with what we're drinking, but do you know what? Sometimes it's the little things. I think as Asda, isn't it? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so today our guest is play where talk red. Now, I discovered Playaware Talk Red th three years ago, maybe, um, on YouTube. I was actually watching Justin Scarred videos. Anyone who's sort of heard of him or look him up on YouTube if you're a Disney fan. And, and as YouTube does, it suggests you these other videos. So Playaware Talk Red's video came up as a suggestion. I clicked on it and watched it, instantly hooked. Now, something that sort of really hooked me on, on, on the Play Where Talk Red videos was that he has this style of sort of interacting with the camera and sort of 
telling his stories and, and doing these videos, which was sort of really laid back, really relaxed, really easy, sort of, it was really good to kind of background ambience, you know, and um, unashamed, I'm an unashamed Disney fan and, and lots of these videos were, were Disneyland Paris and it was really cool to kind of live vicariously through these videos and through Play Where Talk Red. Um, one of these people that you watch the videos and you really sort of feel a connection with, which in my book is something that I've been quite keen on is to, I always like to try and build connections between, between the, the, the viewer, the reader, whatever it is, the listener and the, the creator. So that was something that really, really spoke to me in those videos, um, which are fantastic. And then, you know, found out he did Twitch stream as well. So we jumped onto a few of his Twitch streams. Um, more recently, Alex spoiled Play Where Talk Red's Red Dead Redemption. Hopefully he didn't spoil it for too many people. Well, I, I, uh, I alluded to a fatality. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, yeah, when, we, apologies. When, we, when we started sort of coming up with the ideas for getting guests on the podcasts, Play Where Talk Red was, was somebody who was <laughs> near enough top of the list, you know, as somebody who would be great to come on and talk to him about the YouTube, talk to him about the Twitch and just talk to him about all this stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, Play yeah. Where Talk Red, DeAndre, welcome. Thank you very much, Stuart. appreciate it. And I appreciate all the kind words. Uh, mm. Very lovely to hear. And uh, I'm looking forward to having a good conversation tonight. Yeah, it'll be fun. So, I mean, let's start... Let, Let's start with the sort of first question. It's something that really jumped out at me when I, when I saw that suggestion come up on my YouTube. Play Where Talk Red is catchy. It's clever. <laughs> it's it's I fun. I would argue that it's more of a mouthful and uh, probably does me more harm it. than good when it comes to algorithms yeah. on social media. But it's but, catchy. It's catchy. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. I do too. I, I really like it. I, I've, I've stuck with it. I had the opportunity to change it years ago. And um, I decided, you know, I'm going to keep the name, Play Word Talk Red. And I get, I get asked all the time, like, what does it mean? Where does that come from? Um, and it's basically, it basically uh, when we were, uh, my wife and I, Sophie, uh, we were both starting out on YouTube. We were thinking about the kind of things that we like to do. And so we we're looking for like four things that we like to do. We're going to combine those four things into our names. So I like to play video games. I like to wear and craft cosplay. I like to talk about things, which is why one of the reasons why we're here tonight. And uh, uh, I, my favorite color is red. So I, that, I just chose that. And it kind of came from a collaborative process, my wife and I, and it stuck. And I find it easy to say now. I, had a, I struggled with it to start off with on the YouTube videos, but um, it is my name and i'm sticking with it yeah it's a catchy name and, and you know what it, it does really work and it sounds like it's quite a simple way of, of structuring a name but you know what that it's worked out incredibly isn't it you know because it is something that like i said when i saw it up there play where talk red what's that i've got to know what this is, I've got to know what this is about. <laughs> well i'm glad that grabbed the in, uh, the interest right there because like i said i think that the more complicated you make things like cra crafting a name with four words um the algorithms don't like that kind of thing. And no, they, they like don't. things to be very simple. And so the simpler, the better. And so I, I shot myself in the foot in some way, but hey, it's me. And that's, always, that's what 
the YouTube channel has been about. That's what the Twitch channel has always been about. It's about who I am, not trying to fit into what YouTube wants me to be or what Twitch wants me to be. And I said, that, that's what I quite liked uh, about your videos uh, when I started watching them. Um, as I said, sort of, I was living vicariously through your videos in a way. <laughs> and it was something that, you know, there, there's, there's an honesty, there's a reality to them, you know, and that's what made them so good was, was it, it was like watching a friend, you know, it, it's like watching somebody who you know and you're sharing experience with. And that really does show through. Um, so what made you, you mentioned your wife, Sophie, and of course, shout out to your wife, Sophie as well. All right. Hello. What made you decide YouTube was something to pursue? What made you decide it's something you wanted to, to get on with and, and well, do? Well, I saw an opportunity to carry on doing what I've always done. <clears throat> I grew up in the, in the eighties and nineties. And so I grew up with a camcorder. I grew up with, uh, um, uh, cameras and video cameras. So creating my own videos and shows and photo shoots and stuff like that, just being creative in that way has always been something I've done. Um, I used to go to um, uh, Walt Disney World when I was a kid and I would take my video camera and just record the entire trip. Um, do ride videos, uh, record some of the like entertainment like around Epcot, you know, they had live entertainment record some of that and just create my own videos and just have fun with that. I create videos at home, create mini movies. So when I saw, and it's funny you mentioned Justin Scard cause that's how you found me. I decided to create a YouTube channel based off of watching Justin, Justin Scard's uh, yeah. videos. Ah. He is an inspiration for me because he would go around the parks and back then way back, way back when he was doing, uh, uh, vlogs like just going around the parks and talking about the history of the parks his channels evolved so much now to the point where he's doing a show it's no longer uh, vlogs it's a structured planned heavily creative show and that is part of what made me want to start recording my trips to disneyland paris again and then i've had an outlet for that you know because i had an outlet to sit there and edit a video which I couldn't do when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I, I had no ed editing, didn't exist. It was all on tapes. So I had to actually stop the video and then find a way to make the cut in the camera somehow. Uh, so I had to, had to plan it out very carefully. Um, these little mini movies and all my adventures and stuff. Um, but then I, you know, I had a computer that I could edit on and I could upload to YouTube at a reasonable rate. You know, my internet wasn't so bad. So it was doable. It wasn't, so much of a challenge and it was a, a good outlet for that creativity yeah i think a lot of people are taking to youtube to kind of find a new way to not like be themselves because that sounds strange but like a lot of people are kind of doing what they always wanted to or maybe messed around with as a kid like you said and it's like their way of finding their passion and like following it yeah absolutely and you know it's been a while since i've uploaded to youtube because you know life gets in the way I'm doing other projects as well on top of that. And there's only so many hours and so much energy I've got. Um, but, you know, the, the videos that I've uploaded, I'm very proud of. Um, and not proud as in, you know, I think they're great. I'm proud because I did them. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud because I edited them, edited them and created something in a way that I'm happy with, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think they're, you know, they're ever going to set YouTube on fire. I never, I was, I never went into creating YouTube videos with the 
illusion that I was going to be some viral star or uh, get internet fame. That was never the goal and it was never the um, aspiration. Uh, but I'm very proud that I did it and did it for as long as I did. Um, even with the challenges, you know, I, I started off with uh, doing it all on a laptop, a very, very cheap, low spec laptop. So everything took forever. Editing took forever. Um, but it, it was hard work and it was, I'm very proud of the way they came, they came out. Yeah. And you know, I, I enjoyed them and funny you say that Justin Scard inspired you. I know I didn't actually make any videos, but when I was at Disneyland Paris last uh, October for my 21st birthday, thirtieth <laughs> birthday. Okay, you got me. Um, I was going to. It was funny anything. walking around and kind of. I was genuinely thinking to myself, like, oh, I, I remember when DeAndre was here filming this bit and filming <laughs> this bit, and it inspired me to want to film my own trip. But to be honest, awesome. I, don't, I don't know if people would have found that interesting, so I didn't do it. Even if, even if they don't, you you've got it. You you've recorded it for yourself. Yeah, and that's yeah. all. That's always something. Even if I don't share something, I record it. Um, so that I have that thing to look back on. And some people say, oh, well, you know, you, if you're recording it, you're not really in the moment. I've never been like that because I've, I grew up with a camera in my hand. You know, it's, I don't lose focus. I'm not sitting there trying to get the perfect shot all the time. And it probably shows in my videos, but um, it, if you can lose yourself in the moment and still record it, I don't see a problem with that. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, Stuart. You should, you should be recording things that you feel like you want to, remember or even if you want a little project you can edit it up i mean editing is way easier now than it even was two or three years ago yeah and things are things have progressed so much you could even film it all on your iphone and edit it to the extent that you would on um premiere pro five years ago on a yeah. pc phone editing is like how a lot of people edit their videos who are full-time youtubers yeah you know that's how they do it Funny you say um, that, Alex, because there's a video on my phone that I did film when I was there. Uh, I said to myself, I'm going to film me because I love Phantom Manor. I love the queue. I love the ride, everything about it. So I wanted a memory on my phone. So I'm filming Phantom Manor. I'm walking through the queue, walking all through the queue line, get to the end. The, 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 the cast member inside uh, the, the room you enter, she looks at the camera and she looks dead in the camera and says, how many times have you been on this today? And I felt <laughs> such shame. I stopped recording. Oh, no. You can just hear my voice going. Yeah. You can hear my voice in the video go, oh. <laughs> I think that's quite interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of my f- favorite YouTubers at the moment. I watch a lot of like photo walk people. Um, so they rather than, you know what you said, um, DeAndre, about like losing yourself in the moment versus being able to record it. A lot of them now wearing like a GoPro strapped to their chest. Yeah. They don't even know that they don't, they're not even aware of themselves recording. Exactly. After a while. That's the thing. And they go yeah. around and like, they're walking around in like New York or wherever they are. Yeah. Tokyo. I've watched photos. a few of the videos. Oh man. I just super high res day too. long. And you're like, I literally today, I have to admit this. I think I spent about six hours watching photo walk videos <laughs> on YouTube. Because they'll, they'll be walking around the city for like two hours recording just people. And yeah, I yeah. love people watching. I love that. That's one of the part, things I love about the parks. Uh, Disney parks is just people watching and just seeing people go about having a good time, you know? And so I'm I'm like you, I ended up watching, we watched, um, I can't remember which, pro, which uh, prefecture, which uh, t- city in, in Japan, but essentially they're walking around um, one of the most busy parts of uh, Japan 
And it was amazing because one, they're recording on this like 4K, beautiful wide angle lens and they're just chilling. They're just walking mm. through. And especially right now, especially, you know, being stuck inside, you can't travel right now at, at, at any reasonable leisure. Uh, leisure. Uh, getting, having that little bit of escape was really nice just for that little while. I think that's why I'm doing it. Like, cause obviously fair enough, I can go outside the house, but I've got like a park near me or I can walk to Sainsbury's and back. And that's that. Yeah. That's about it. And being able to go to a different country. I mean, you can, I mean, people travel, people are traveling right now, but I mean, I say that I have driven to France and back, but like, <laughs> it's not, I mean, we're now August the 19th. So it's not like we're doing this in March. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a very strange time. And I think a lot of people are escaping online. Yeah. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And yeah. there's a little bit, that little bit of a, a safety net of having, having those videos. Um, but going back to, to Justin, you know, his energy and his uh, passion for creating content for YouTube is, is infectious. I got to meet, I got the, the pleasure of meeting him and hang, hanging out with him a um, uh, few years ago at Disneyland Paris. Yeah, he was going. Yeah. And that's one of the most fun times I had. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're worried about embarrassing yourself or, you know, because I, I, I was watching his videos. I loved his videos and I didn't want to make a fool out of myself or seem like some sort of super fan and uh, like uh, obsessive or anything like that. And it was cool to just hang out, hang out with him because he's such a cool guy out, off, off camera. And he has just that same amount of energy off camera than he does on camera. That's, and that's what I try and do too. You know, I try, and, I try and be myself on camera so that when people meet me or talk to me, they they know what they're getting into. It's not going to be like a total shock. I think that's what we've tried to do on this pod, but we're probably aware that it means that most people probably do never want to meet us after this. <laughs> but Don't be you so know, hard on yourself. I mean, I prefer it that way as well. I'd rather most people hated me and didn't want to come near me because like you play, I'm a bit of an introvert and like my own company. So it's right. fine. Right. Right. I dread the book sales I'm not going to get from doing my YouTube show. <laughs> <laughs> I, you got to take it as it is. You got to, you got to go into it saying, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get famous off of this. And if it happens, it happens. Great. You're famous and people know you from the thing that you created. Yeah. You're very passionate about If you if you, if they don't, if they don't latch onto it, you can still say you created it and it's yours. You created it yourself and it is you. That's the most important thing. You know what? Quick shout out to Justin Scard if he ever listens to this, because uh, obviously the impact he's had on, on DeAndre is, is obvious. And um, while I'm not a YouTube creator, he certainly had an impact on me. Some of the positive messages he shares through his videos. Oh, yeah, quest for, quest for positivity, big influence. Incredible. Got me through some really hard times. And, and I'd like to thank Justin for that personally one day, maybe, hopefully. Who knows? Um, <laughs> he's got some really good thumbnails as well on YouTube, yeah. like really good thumbnails. But if not, you know, Justin Scar, this is for you. So thank you very much. Um, thank you for everything. So DeAndre, you mentioned sort of growing up with a, with a camera in your hand and going to Walt Disney World. Um, were there any sort of films or, or, or any particular creators that inspired you? Sort of any favorite films when you were growing up? Anything when like I, that? When I was growing up, I was less concerned with the filmmakers, like who was directing what who is the cinematographer of what and i was more into the characters the stories yeah the worlds and really the performances and i still am I, I love movies for their performances uh, a great performance will pull me into a movie and i will feed off of it you know and you can you can you can tell when somebody's putting 
with a real effort into a performance and grabs you. But also in the, in the same, at the same time, I'm very much a horror fan, uh, very much a horror fan. And so learning how they did special effects and makeup and prosthetics and animatronics, that was my, that was my real obsession uh, mm. when I was a kid, when I was growing up. So when I was growing up, every Halloween was the biggest event for me because I got to take all the things that I learned from watching behind the scenes footage or reading Fangoria and put it to use, like using uh, latex, liquid latex and fake blood and stuff and putty and making appliances when I'm probably about 10 years old, you know, and, and applying them to my face, uh, creating zombies and werewolves and all sorts. I was a, also a big nerd. So, so when I was a kid, so I was dressing up as stuff that people didn't know about or didn't understand. Yeah. Like super uh, like, niche characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, not, I mean, not niche for horror fans. Horror fans were like, yeah, that's like one of the originals. I dressed as the Phantom of the Opera one year. Oh, wow. Nobody that... knew what I, nobody knew what I was. Maybe some of the adults, but none of the kids knew. Everybody else was dressed as Spider-Man and Superman and Dracula. And I was like, I'm going, I'm doing deep cuts. See, that's, that's the worst for me. If I go to a comic con and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, who's that? What's she supposed to be? <laughs> what's he supposed to be what's, what's that? What, what have you come as and I yeah. just feel like I, just, I feel like the old geezer now at Comic Con I feel like the guy who doesn't know anything yeah. anymore it's all just I'm the same yeah I'm the same you know? uh, so I don't want to ask or anything because I want to google it because then you, <laughs> you know desperate uh, no. the first time I ever went into Steve's flat correct me if I'm wrong Steve I'm pretty sure you had a prosthetic zombie head in a fish tank didn't you uh, prob- uh, yeah 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 amazing <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. It's like, that's like, uh, you, you probably have like a Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro collection, a museum in your house. I've still got that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's looking at me right now. It's got a Jason Ward. <laughs> it's, it's looking at you. I'm <laughs> worried if my zombie head was actually it's, looking at me. So it's got one weird. good eye that's staring directly at me. And I'm just, I, I had to think where that was then. But yeah, that, that, yeah, that was. But there's no fish in it. Cause I, I put fish in it and they started to die a week later. So in the end, I just thought, well, <laughs> I'll get rid of the fish and just keep the zombie head. Nice. Yeah. We, yeah, we I don't get off con- any woman with that. that um. <laughs> right, Patel does not condone violence against fish. Please do not put your fish in with zombie heads. No, no, no. Please don't do that. You know. They might eat them. <laughs> yeah, they might damage your zombie head. Um. So is there any sort of particular sort of horror? I think Steve's going to be more know what you're saying because I'm, yeah. I'm very good with horror. I, I caught wind that Steve... Uh, a little birdie told me that Steve's a horror fan. Yeah. So I've been looking forward all this time to, to geeking out in a horror way, in addition to Disney ways and everything else. But, but is, there, is, there, is there any particular sort of horror things from your youth that sort of you stand out as something that yeah. really impacted um, on you? I had a lot of good in influences on me as far as horror when I was growing up. And I, you, you could say good and bad because my my sister and my cousins would would... Uh, be watching things like the Nightmare on Elm Street films and the Friday the 13th films. And so I, I, wa- I grew up watching those films from a very early age. And they scared me. I'm not saying, oh, you know, it didn't have any impact. I was desensitized. I'm still a big scaredy cat. But, you know, when I watched them, I felt like I was like hanging out with the cool kids and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I was appreciating the movies for what they were, which were really great special effects showcases and they had best teams as far as like editing and uh, sound. And they, they knew how to, how to shock and entertain the audiences. So I grew up in a very 
eighties uh, splatter uh, frame of mind when it came to horror. But you know, those movies always have something else under the surface, especially the Nightmare on Elm Street. Those films are are all about entertainment, but they wrap something else in that horror. And there's always something else going on in the surface, uh, mainly influenced by Wes Craven, who loved doing that kind of stuff in his movies. Um, so in addition to that, I also had um, sort of young-ish um, teacher's aides, I guess you would call them at school. And they, they would hang out at the back of the bus with the older kids. And so I would be in the back of the bus with the older kids. And they would talk about, oh, did you see this movie? Did you see that movie? And one of them, actually, uh, the, the counselor said, oh, you should, have, has anybody seen Army of Darkness? <laughs> um, which is a Sam Raimi movie, the third in the Evil Dead tril- trilogy. And I was like, yeah, I've seen it. Because, again, I was already well into horror by that time. And... We, were ju- we just sat there quoting Army of Darkness and, and talking about how cool this shot was and that shot was, you know, this scene, that scene. And we were talking about it as more than just a guy blowing the heads off of uh, zombies and uh, deadites. And we were talking about like how cool this moment was. And that's, again, how I developed my appreciation and love for film and horror specifically is these moments, these crafted moments that stick with you. Those are the things that I cherish when I think about movies in general, but specifically horror. So yeah, Army of Darkness, Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise, Halloween, all those classic um, uh, big franchises that everybody knows, and a lot of the garbage that nobody nobody knows about. Nobody off the street knows about. I I like those movies too. I'll never forget, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, I'll never forget that (laughs) that one time my mother went to a video store like right next to her, her work. I grew up in Chicago. And so right next door to her office building, they had a video rental place. Yes, those were a thing and they existed. You guys remember oh, what yes. I'm talking about. Um, and she, she walked in, she walked in and she said, oh, uh, what can you recommend for my son? You know, my young son. And the clerk, and this, remember, this is not Blockbuster. This is a tiny one person video store that's about the width of my shoulders. Um, and he came, he came back with, Oh, here, try this. And my mom came home and said, I rented something for you. Um, and she, and I opened it up and I see it says dead alive. I'm like, what is dead alive? As you guys might know it as brain dead. Um, yes. Steve. Yes. Peter Jackson. Yep. That's the one. And I was, I was so young when I watched it. I was like nine years old, not even probably. And I'm like, what is this? I have no idea what it is. Never heard of it. And it kind of looked like a dodgy tape. I'm a little bit worried. So I put it in and I was blown away. Absolutely blown away. And you talk about loving special effects and, and like how they, how they do certain things and, and directors with a, a style for moments. That movie is one of the best. It's one of the goriest films ever made. I think it was a video. Nasty. Yeah. yeah, probably yeah. was a video nasty at some stage. I've just Googled it, and the third picture is Peter Jackson stood in this sort of mess of severed limbs. Yep, that's the that's a kind of yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Horror, horror never really got never really gets its due. I find because there's a number of times horror horror films have made an incredible amount of money, and you talk about sort of like Universal monsters, which saved Universal back in the day, and yes, uh, 
you get things like New Line Cinema, which um, was, 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 was the house that Freddie built and stuff. And you, you got a lot of films to make their money. And even today where you get things like uh, Stephen King's It remake, which has um, done astronomical numbers and stuff. But it's always sort of been kind of the, you know, the, the bastard red-headed stepchild of uh, entertainment and cinema. You're absolutely right. I've and it's only until recently that it's starting to get noticed for what they would call, and I don't like this term, I personally don't like it, but elevated horror, horror with a bit of class, horror yeah. that's practically a drama, but with some sort of supernatural element mm. or, and which examples of this would be uh, things like Get Out and Us, mm. things that are more mainstream, definitely horror or like sci-fi horror, but with that, again, social message and touch of class. And I don't like the term elevated horror, but I get it. And I totally agree. Those films are amazing. They're brilliant. But those are the films that are going to get the notice. Uh, things like Friday 13th Part 10 is not. No. I get it. I understand it. But it doesn't mean they're not entertaining. And like you said, those Universal, Universal Studios horror films, again, which I was a major fan of back in the day. Um, I One of my earlier um, costumes for Halloween was uh, the... Uh, Wolfman version of Wolfman, the, the Lawrence Talbot, uh, yeah. Lon Chaney Jr. version of yes. uh, the Wolfman. Again, nobody knew other than being a werewolf, but I was wearing like the exact out outfit that he wore in that movie. And his hair um, was perfect. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, that, and because of the way my hair grows, you guys saw a little preview before the before the podcast. But my hair grows in that way anyway, naturally. So I just let it grow out, and then put some paint on my face and stuck some fur to my face, and there we go. I was. A, I was the Wolfman. <laughs> uh, those movies made so much money. Those were blockbusters back in the day. Like you said, they saved Universal Pictures. Those films put horror on the map and made them, made yeah. them. I mean, there are so many copycats and sequels after that because they made so much money. Did they win any Oscars? Probably not. Maybe, maybe Bride of Frankenstein. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, or you know, for for cinematography maybe or something like that. Creature design makeup. I think is it Jack was it Jack Pierce? I can't remember who did the makeup for those movies. Um, uh, definitely highly regarded. Probably probably won some Academy acclaim, but you know they never get their due. Like you say, horror never gets their due. Look at look at Peter Jackson. He's cut his teeth making horror films because that's his that's his passion. And then he go, what does he go on to do? The biggest franchise in movie history. Yeah, the biggest trilogy in movie history. You know, it's it's interesting um, when you you talk about Lord of the Rings and, and Brain Dead. I I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, huge, big. I've watched all the appendices for the for the films, all the behind the scenes stuff, about a hundred times. When I was at university, I used to put on the DVDs and fall asleep at night because I sleep better with noise. That's a difference. Yeah, um, passion. But, I like it. Um, it's incredible to listen to Peter Jackson and when you realize how much influence Braindead had on Lord of the Rings, it's quite surprising in terms of the special effects as in terms of, as you said, some of the shots he uses in Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Do you, do you think he'd be able to do that? Do you think he'd be able to do even a third of what he pulled off in the Lord of the Rings movies without an intense knowledge of special effects exactly. and visual effects and prosthetics and makeup and all that kind of stuff that he, he again, cut his teeth on. You know, those movies are, are done so simply and old school that yeah. everybody thinks that they're like completely revolutionary. And a lot of them, a lot of it are, but the basics, the fundamentals, they go way back. 
And yeah. he understood those fundamentals. And that's how he was able to pull those movies off w- with any sort of budget. Because remember, those came out a very long time ago. Yeah. And those are the biggest films that had came out, come out up until that point. Biggest well, want, big, uh, visuals, you, want, you know. If you want a completely pointless um, Lord of the Rings horror reference that um, I'm sure only you'll understand and Stu and I'll be completely lost on, was there was a <laughs> lovely film called Night of the Seagulls. Uh, Italian film and um, the uh, it was basically there were zombies but they were kind of like skeleton zombies and uh, they had about four or five different films all part of Blind Dead series and they were the physical basis for the, the wraiths in Lord of the Rings I didn't know that that's a great tidbit now I'm going to have to look those movies up because <laughs> um, I love the wraiths in those movies they look yeah. so good yeah, yeah they've got a really freaky scary thing in a way that I think like if you compare them to like the um what are the things in Harry Potter that float around by the train? I know what you're talking uh, about. Hermione Granger. Dementor, dementors. Oh. Yeah, if you compare them to the Dementors, <laughs> um, they're just scary as hell. And the Dementors, you're like, mate, just take a cough sweet, you'll be all right. <laughs> the wheezing. Yeah, Sounds exactly. Like on a bad hay fever day. Um, and go on. I was just going to say, those are very much horror moments in those films. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. what they do, do to people as well, don't they suck the essence out of people? Yeah, they like suck your soul out. And it's like, yeah. oh, damn. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. And for a kid's film, and that's one of the things I, I appreciate from the Harry Potter film standpoint, is that they're not afraid to push things into a little bit horror territory. Oh, there's a lot of horror, isn't there? Especially in yeah. the, I think more so in the books. Like the third book, yes. like Azkaban, yeah. there is some really deep, dark. Oh, that is that, my favorite that, of the movies. The fr- the growing franchise. up, growing up in East Anglia, I heard lots of stories about Black Shuck. Um, I know Black Shuck has many different names: the Bar Guest, um, the Black Dog, many different names around the world, in fact. But I remember reading Prisoner of Azkaban, and there's a bit where Harry's walking around the estate you know like a chav and um, oh yeah <laughs> he, he he stops at an alleyway and at the end of the alleyway you've got serious black in dog form looking at him in this huge black dog and like i said growing up in this part of the world where where black shuck um attacked a church true story blytheborough look it up um i remember that scene in that book being absolutely terrifying like reading it as i think i was about 10 years old 11 years old when that book came out i don't know um, you would have been but reading it, just just the idea of being a, a boy, Harry Potter, you know, and looking and seeing a huge, gigantic black dog staring at me. Um, for anyone listening that doesn't say no black shuck, the East Anglian version of um, of the the sort of cryptid dog story, black shuck, is that if you see black shuck. So you or somebody you know will die within a year. So I just remember reading that book and it being terrifying terrifying mm. because it had that sort of personal touch to it yeah you know you, you already knew the story so that kind of brought all those images back into your mind yeah. and you're already engrossed in this story that you're reading and you're just hit with this image and it probably just really shook you to your core i i get that and it was just a creepy uncle There's an <laughs> yeah. as well isn't there it's like, I mean, like, what, I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 when I was five years old. And my parents just said, oh, you know, it's not really be fine. And what? it bloody wasn't. I don't you know how old? 
Five, five years old. Yeah, five years old. You know, I'm calling child services now. Yeah, right? it, it probably <laughs> explains a lot, actually. But um, that's about right, man. I remember. I remember the biggest because that was the, the film series that scared me the most when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, again, I was a big Freddy cat. I was a uh, was scared of the dark for the longest time, and so having this nightmare killer who could attack you at any time and you wouldn't even know you're asleep half the time until it's too late. That terrified me as a kid. And th- that, pr- that kind of brought into three dimensions, all these urban stories. You know, you grow up in Chicago, you have urban legends, a lot of them, especially mm. in Chicago. And it brought into three dimensions, what you grew up hearing about in uh, your uh, daily life, you know, just telling s- ghost stories around the campfire, people having nightmares and dying in their sleep, you know, and that's like the the tale, you know, don't uh, don't fall asleep either angry. The the moral is sorry, don't fall asleep angry, or don't do anything bad during the day because in your dreams your your nightmares might actually kill you. And Ooh. so the uh, having that brought into a film with a character such as Freddie, mm. who is just this character that just loves doing what he does. Um, it's terrifying, and so I was, I was, I was seeing Freddy during the daytime. That's how scared I was of those films. <laughs> well, I've got a quick story. I'll, I'll, you talk about child service. I should have been locked up for this one. But my mum was <laughs> a big knitter. You know, that was her thing. And um, over in England, we have this little comic called the Beano. I don't know if you get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I know Beano. I think, I think if you know where I'm going, you can pretty much guess where this is going. Well, I, mean, I, I managed to get my mum to knit me a, um, a big Dennis the Menace jersey, which was the exact same design as the one Freddy Krueger had. And I remember scaring the hell out of this one kid because I, because I taped the uh, knives to my fingers and just <laughs> through, his, through his cat flap. Lock just, him up. And I just, terrorizing uh, him back now, terrorizing the kids. How old were you then? You were like six. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm about nine or ten then, but this oh, big is about two or three. So See, I was watching like... Back now, I should, have been, I should have been sectioned for that. Steve, you are the reason why they say that these movies are ruining kids' lives and yeah. Yeah, teaching them bad lessons. You're the reason they blame things like Grand Theft Auto on the gun crime <laughs> yeah. in America. <laughs> yeah. like the scariest thing I was watching at five was The Good Life. <laughs> yeah, or I was like watching yeah. Beethoven and like crying and having to leave the so, cinema when they said they're going to burn sitting behind me when you she said when you said you the scariest thing you watched was The Good Life. She just chuckled and shook her head. <laughs> I'm guessing it's pretty tame. I've never seen the show myself. Oh, it's it's a wonderful show. It's pretty Felicity weak. Kendall, you know, yeah. she's a bit of sort. Yeah, Felicity, yeah, lovely Felicity Kendall and Richard Bryars. And Penelope Keith, They're a lovely old lot. No, see, Robert, horror, Robert England and you know, Kane horror, horror in the Demons. Horror is a genre that sort of I, I've got a very strange relationship with because, on the one hand, I, I don't like too much excessive gore because I've always been a fan of story, and and I'm sure uh, between you, DeAndre and Steve, you could tell me some really good, um, sort of story-driven horror films. But it's something that sort of I've enjoyed more psychological horror as I've got older. Um, but I'm also incredibly easy to freak out. So working, I obviously work in a museum. I work in a mansion, an old Tudor mansion as well. Um, work across both sites. And I've never experienced anything necessarily paranormal, but I can get in my own head quite easily. So I do enjoy good horror films because I, I like that that buzz and um sort of but sometimes i get myself so worked up and freaked out yeah it's like the the whole going into a basement you know to get something 
and yeah. then your hair start, suddenly goes up on the back of your neck and you feel like something's wrong. And oh, so you feel God. like you can't stay in the basement any longer because something's bad is going to happen. I can only imagine that in a big creepy mansion or a giant museum. Oh, I'd be I've even worse if that happened. Yeah. I, I get it even like going down to the bottom of, at the back of the flats to where the like communal bins are in the dark. Yeah. So it's like this Anytime massive you're... tree over it. Yeah. The sense of dread. It's always there. It's mm. always and I know there. nothing's going to happen. And then the worst thing is like one of the like <laughs> neighbor's cats comes out of the bush. And I'm like, in a horror movie, mm. that cat is always, that cat is always jumping out at the right time. That's the yeah, thing. Right? Thankfully yeah. he's not it's black. Cat. That's the problem. When I see a cat jump out, it's usually misdirection. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then the killer comes. Yeah. So about, I'll send you some. Uh, I'll send you some good psychological horror recommendations. Yeah, great. Uh, some um, of the ones that popped, like one of the first ones that top popped into my head is "What Lies Beneath," "What yeah. Lies Beneath," which is a uh, paranormal thriller. Uh, stars uh, Harrison Ford and Sharon Stone, and um, this wife who's married to a doctor is home home alone a lot you know he's always off doing his research and she starts to see ghostly images uh, a lot more into like the story and a lot, a lot more into the character and the performances are fantastic and the scares are really good too but they're done in a really nice way it's not gory at all but it's very suspenseful is harrison ford phoning this one in or is he is no, it, no it's good so. he plays so. a baddie so. he plays a baddie yeah which is such a novelty well, is this the one with the um sorry. the, the bathtub scene so yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yes, and I wasn't going to say anything because... No, but Stu, was, but, yeah. Stu um, won't remember that because he's drunk. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. He didn't Han Solo. It is, it is that one now. <laughs> Han Solo is a baddie. Stop it. <laughs> Stop getting Bond wrong. Um, I think, for me, horror-wise, the, the last horror movie I went to see in the cinema, I went in thinking, it can't be scary because Jim from The Office is in it. Um, that thing, The Quiet Place... Have you seen yeah. that? I, I, I was wrong. That is, that is so very scary. Intense. That is a very intense film. And it's all based on this gimmick of they can't make any noise. So the entire, yeah. from the opening scene to the very, very end, any amount of noise is terrifying. And then and it's just a little about twist with the daughter. Noise. It's deaf, isn't she? Yeah, that's, that's a whole oh, different man. element to it. And that's another layer of suspension, uh, suspense. But when you're watching it, it's like, you forget how many how much noise you make just going to to walk to a door and opening it. Oh yeah, and it's excruciating. They do the simplest things in the most excruciating excruciating way because any amount of noise brings danger. And so I think that that's one of the best horror films of of recent memory. There's a lot. There's yeah, a, lot there's a second one, isn't there? That was due to come out, and then obviously the uh, yeah. current situation. Yeah, that put it on hold. To that. Yeah, the last movie I saw in the cinema, I actually saw just before lockdown I, I was in london um the the weekend of the, the the 13th and things really shut down after that yeah like a week later um so i'm i'm very thankful that i got back safe and sound and didn't have any issues um but the last movie i saw was actually uh, it was a, it was a double feature but one of one of them was uh, color out of space with nick cage which mm -hmm. is a weird sci-fi horror movie very horrific but very much a sci-fi film as well. It's based off of um, H.P. Love, uh, Lovecraft short story. So there's a lot of weird, like be creatures from beyond in it. I have a, I have a baby Cthulhu in a jar in the room. With Perfect. Room. Exactly. I'll, I'll stick a picture on the, uh, on the Twitter. You'll love it. Oh, it looks <laughs> freaky. This. I'm just. 
I'm just as you're it's going. It's very through, weird. Yeah, I'll admit, no. I'm like googling everything to like see what's and, what. And I'm in the cage, and Nick Cage is being Nick Cage. He's being his eccentric self as he does now. Easy, but uh, <laughs> but it's very much a um, body horror film. It's a uh, Descent into Madness type film. Um, as most of them are, but yeah. Lovecraft's yeah. a sad one because he, he never really had that many good adaptations done, which is a real pisser because... Yeah, there's, there's a few that were done in the 80s, like, um, is, is it uh, Stuart Gordon did things like... Yeah, yeah, done Reanimator and... Um, and which, and ironically, Gordon. that's probably the best adaptation, but that's the story that Lovecraft himself hated the most because he done it literally for the money. <laughs> <Just> yeah. for, <laughs> mm. Oh, this has um, Madeleine Arthur in it. She's really she's good. A, the yeah. wife, and I only know the Nick Cage's Nick Cage's she's name the, as an actor. Uh, she's the wife. Terrible with actors' names. Yeah, that 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 character is actually probably one of the most um, intense parts of the film. So, yeah, uh, Stuart, don't go watch that one. Don't watch that. Huh. Uh, stick with th- safe things like what lies beneath. Okay. Yeah, so, so you know, with, go on. I, I want to I want to segue really really sort of cleverly now because. This is what I do. Now, you mentioned Nick Cage, and I want to sort of bring up something in horror that has frustrated me endlessly. Nick Cage, of course, is the nephew, I believe, of the famous Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Is he really? Yes, he is. is. Yeah. Um, Now, Francis Ford Coppola, famous for, for lots of things, but one of those things is Dracula. Why is it impossible? for anyone to make a good Dracula film because the book is one of the greatest books ever written. I will not have you say a bad <laughs> word about Bram Stoker's Dracula really? by Francis Ford Coppola. Really? It, it, Dracula it, 72 is good. How, it, it, how can I, how do I get out of a Zoom call? How do I exit this? That <laughs> is, smashed, it's funny that you said, said <laughs> it's funny that you said that, Stuart, that specific title, because if you were to ask me what my favorite horror film of all time is, or even favorite film is, it might even be Bram Stoker's Dracula. Wow! Look at my segue skills. Unbelievable. Well, at least we're creating a drama here. Yeah, and, uh, I have to say, right? Sorry, Steve. I'll let you go in a minute, but I, I must, I must stand my ground here because <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula is a good film. Okay, I will, I will grant that it's quite good, but the original book. It's a bit padded in the middle. There's lots of the slow stuff where um, uh, Mina's friend is is ill and, you know, uh, um, Van Helsing is kind of... It, there's like 400 pages of just Van Helsing going, day one, she's a little bit cold today. Day two, she's yeah, a bit clapped. Yeah, a lot of investigation into it what's going a on. a bit in the middle. But the, if you cut that using Hollywood skills, if you cut that middle bit at the beginning and the end, it would be incredible. But for some reason, everything, and I'm not even going to mention the recent BBC Dracula because... Oh, I heard bad I, things about that. Oh, yeah. That made me mad. I um, heard people were into it for the first... It was a three-part three part series. People yeah, were into it, it the first couple of episodes and then it took a sharp turn in, in the very end and people watched, were not happy. I watched it all out of professional kind of, you know, <laughs> I have to do this. But believe me, by the end of the first episode, I... I I'd nearly thrown things at the television. It was atrocious. But 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 I just don't understand how how a, such a iconic story, even in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gary Oldman is great. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But performances. Remember, I told you about performances, and that is yeah. one of the best. 
but they horror. change the story to the point that I just think, come on. I, I get that. And you know, you're ta- you're talking from the point of view of being a fan of the book. I was not a fan of the book. I didn't, I didn't read the book before I saw the movie. And so when I was a kid, cause that film came out in 92, I was, I was around 10 years old. I saw it in the cinema and it changed, it changed me. It showed me that horror was not just about splatter. It was about art. It was, a, that's the first film that I remember watching in the cinema and thinking this is something that I didn't quite understand. I didn't quite get it. And I think it's because I was just too young to really understand and appreciate the artwork, uh, the art artistry that was used in that film. And, Tom, we talked about earlier about Peter Jackson and like him cutting his teeth and making something fantastic. Um, Francis Ford Coppola is a massive film buff. So he knows everything about film and filmmaking uh, from a technical standpoint, from an artistry standpoint. And this might, this might give you some more appreciation for the film. They wanted to use a lot of computer, because remember this is early nineties, computer generated imagery and special effects were starting to be used and studios were all about it because they wanted to market those films as, hey, these, this is using the latest groundbreaking technology. And there are a lot of special effects in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the film, that probably people think, oh, that was probably computers. Not a single frame, as far as I know, was done digitally. It's all in-camera special effects. And the little story I have about that one is that, um, and this is from watching the behind the scenes of the, the making of the movie. Um, he kept having the studio, Columbia Pictures, push CGI artists onto him. So he kept having meetings with all these CGI artists and the brilliant, brilliant, you know, uh, at what they do. But he kept having to say, no, guys, I don't want that. I want this. He kept wanting the classic horror look to the film. He wanted things to look natural and unnatural at the same time. But everybody kept trying to push CGI on him. And so he kept having these meetings with the, these, um, these, I mean, we're talking top names in uh, visual effects at the time as far as CGI. And we're, I want to say like, uh, is it Steve Dykstra? I think he worked on the Spider-Man movies. Basically these top hey, guys, um, these top guys were being paid a lot by the studio. And he kept having these meetings over and over again saying, guys, I don't want that, I want this. I want it to look old school. I want it to look this way. Give me that. And they kept trying to push him because they could do all these other things that they, that they wanted to do. Mm. He was like, no, 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 guys. So meeting after meeting, kept having these. Eventually he lost his temper completely and he fired all of them. Mm. And he said, forget it. We're not gonna use CGI. I'm gonna do it myself. And he had his teenage son, him and his teen, teenage son did the special effects for Bram Stoker's Dracula. One of the, one of the show pieces for practical effects, him and his son did the entire movie. Mostly. Yeah. So. And so he did things like there's a scene uh, in the middle of the movie when Dracula first arrives in London and he's walking around uh, London, you know, with his gray suit and the purple glasses and looking all dapper and cool. Um, there's this, uh, a shot that looks like old timey footage, you know, like silent era. And the reason it looks like that is because it actually used a silent era camera, stuff like oh, that. Wow. Throughout the entire, the entire film is, is littered with these, with all these old school techniques that, that look jarring when a modern audience is watch is watching them. But then they were effects that were being done, you know, uh, 90 years, 90 years earlier. 
you know, things like superimposition. So you, you take, or, or splicing. So there's a shot with a rat running along a beam upside down. And you're like, that's impossible. All he did was film the rat on a beam normally, uh, flip that upside down, cut the actual negative, cut the film, and then splice the other uh, shot the other way around, uh, direct, just taped them together, put them together, and then film wow. that. All these, all these old techniques. So I have a, I, that is my favorite horror film of all time. Maybe one of my favorite films of all time, if I was to pick any film. But I'm not all about horror, so I'm not going to keep ranting and raving about Bram Stoker Dracula and proving how Stuart's wrong. I'm just going to leave it, I'm going to leave it there. I because he's proved, entitled to his incorrect opinion. Yeah, we've proved Stu needs to write a letter of apology and seal it with wax. With his <laughs> yeah, with a big, big, big D symbol oh, yeah. on it. Oh, I actually have one of those. I'm not going to lie. I'll send it to Nick Cage directly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, go on. Sorry, Steve. The thing is about, you know, with acting, it's uh, the graphic stuff's just gotten carried away now. It's um, The one thing I liked about films in the 80s is if you look at something like The Thing, which has got some of the best special effects of all time, um, they have that part there where the guy gets his arms ripped off and they actually used a proper amputee for that, you know, and it's like... Really? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, a guy who was a proper amputee, you know, so when his arms are getting ripped ripped apart by that guy's chest, it's actually genuinely not prospects. It's generally the guy's missing his arms because he doesn't have any. And that's just so much more convincing because it's like, well, it's, it's legitimate, yeah. basically. Whereas it now took a lot more work. It, t- it took a lot more work. And because it took a lot more work, they put a lot more effort into it. Yeah. They wanted it to make it look its best. A lot of the budget for those films was dedicated to special effects. So, you know, that's why a lot of films now don't use practical special effects. And there's like, there's resurgences. There's a lot of films that are being made by guys who grew up in the eighties. And so they want to bring the eighties feel to the movie, <clears throat> but they still cheat with cheat with a lot of the like blood effects. They'll make those digital, but they'll have like the creature effects be, be practical. Um, and yeah, it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel um, authentic. Well, one of my favorite, because it doesn't take it much, uh, that much effort. One of my favorite horror films is, of course, the original Omen film. And you've got that part there where the priest, played by Patrick Troughton, gets struck by that, um, that big spike. Yeah. Uh, that, they, used a real, they used a real spike, and the whole, thing, the whole thing comes to about 18 quid, basically, to do the entire effect. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a very good actor acting and giving that yeah. horrifying look that Patrick yeah. Trout. But then, if you're going to use um, if you're going to use special effects for that, that's yeah, going to be probably a, a little team of people. And you oh, know, yeah. how much are you paying for that? You know, Stewart. That that the Omen is a is another great suspenseful thriller yeah, horror yeah. film that I think you might oh, like. Yeah, I like them they, they're very good. The first three are very good. Is that is that the did they redid that recently with a very scary looking boy on the poster? Didn't they? Oh, the, the original kid <laughs> even more fucking worse. Trust me, he's a. Oh yeah. Nothing scarier than a toddler. You'll, uh, you'll, get, you'll get to know that, Stuart. Yeah. You'll get to know that. I can tell you, I can tell you that for true. <laughs> I woke up one morning and, and, and he's still with us in the bedroom at the moment, bless him. And he was staring, just staring at us. <laughs> he's seeing staring. a ghost. Staring. Um, yeah. I get, I, but going back to the concept, I don't, I don't want to keep ra- railing on about horror, but let's go back to the concept of what you just uh, brought up is the old argument, what's better, the book or the movie, based on the book. You know, we talked about Harry Potter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, get, I get where a lot of people um, are disappointed by a movie based off of their favorite book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would even say things like Jurassic Park, 
which is based off of Michael Crichton series of novels, um, were disappointing as far as the content of the book versus the content of the movie. I think the the issue there is that, you know, you, you have to make a lot of creative and artistic uh, sacrifices and, and um, for sheer entertainment sake. And if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be Steven Spielberg. He loves keeping the movie going. He loves keeping things fresh and entertaining. So he'll cut out entire sections if he feels like, even, even if they're important to the story, he doesn't care. He just cares about um, thrilling the audience. That's his primary uh, concern. And he'll tell you that himself. There's a whole sequence in Jurassic Park where the, um, there's, a, there's a big continuity error uh, where the Jeep is, is getting pushed over to the edge of the paddock yeah. by the T-Rex. And it goes over the edge and there's that whole dramatic, oh, we got to swing out of the way of this dropping truck. But in the previous shot, uh, that's all flat. That's all land because that's where they uh, serve up that goat to T Rex yes. in the first place. Yeah. So that that's a massive continuity or plot hole, and he did that strictly so he could have that amazing sequence of them swinging out of the way of that dropping truck. I think it was worth it. Yeah, definitely. I've just thought of another really good segue because there's obviously something. It's better be better than the last one because the I, last I, one. I don't want to set myself too high, but <laughs> you mentioned obviously sort of editing and Steven Spielberg, as you said, keeping that plot going. So I obviously watched a lot of your YouTube and you mentioned earlier on, you edit that. We've also been picking up a lot of your Twitch streams lately. And of course you can't edit a Twitch stream. I apologize. Yeah. We were watching your, your Red Dead Redemption. So, so how, how, did, how did Twitch come about? I know it's a massive platform at the, at the moment, and, and it's something that was... Very good segue. I'll give you that. Um, um, so how, how, I, how did that decision come about? I decided to get into Twitch because I was watching a lot of Twitch at the time, and I was watching a particular Twitch streamer, and we talk about influences, so we have justin scar for youtube and there was a there's a twitch streamer called laughing you know he's a pretty big twitch streamer but he's not like you know pewdiepie big or anything like that you know he's he's got a very great community um and he puts a lot of effort into his streams and he does horror related streams but he also does you know action games and all, all types of uh, fun stuff he does a lot of vr now too and i was watching a lot of his stuff and he would be doing giveaways um, to uh, promote the stream and stuff like that. So I actually won one of the games. I actually won Friday the 13th, uh, the video game. Um, That's a good and game. it is a great game. Uh, very faithful to the franchise. So I love it. And he gave it away. And I was like, I've got to get it going and get it loaded. Uh, and so I can play online with him because he would have like, you know, playing with viewers sessions where he'd open it up and people can play and join in the games. So I tried to load it up on my laptop and it was a disaster. My laptop is not a gaming laptop. It was what I was using to edit the YouTube videos. And I thought I could handle it because it was editing YouTube videos and I didn't understand the difference between CPU, graphics card, all that kind of stuff. CPU, GPU and all that numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I understand, I know them, but I didn't know what, like, what was good. I didn't know what could handle these games. So I just tried to load it up on my laptop. It was terrible. I was getting like one frame per second at uh, 480p resolution. It was terrible. So I said, okay, I got, I got to invest in a PC now. Uh, it'll help me with my editing. So I'll be able to edit a lot faster, my YouTube videos. 
and uh, I'll be able to play these games. And that got me thinking, well, if I'm playing these games, why aren't I, why am I not um, streaming the games that I'm playing? If I'm playing these video games, I'm a big gamer in addition to a big movie buff. Um, why am I not streaming myself? Because at the very least, I could be off camera, off mic, and just play a game and have somebody watch me play the game if they so choose. Didn't have to be this big production. And uh, I approached it just like I approached my YouTube videos. I'm not looking to get famous. I'm not looking, I'm just looking to share something, I'm looking to create content. And even if it's just like a live stream, and by that point I was already doing uh, live Periscope videos, so live discussions mm -hmm. um, in addition to the YouTube videos. So, you know, if I'm already doing live stuff and I enjoy doing live, live stuff, let's do live video gameplay. And so I signed up for Twitch and that, that was it. I just brought Play Word Talk Red because remember, Play Word Talk Red was supposed to be the part, part of Play Word Talk Red was supposed to be playing video games because I love playing video games. It didn't really work for YouTube because I tried to capture it and edit from like the PlayStation. It was a nightmare. It wasn't user-friendly at all. Mm. Um, but if I could live stream, hey, that could be the play in Play Word Talk Red. So that's, so speaking that's of came the play, what is your favorite game you've ever played? And Ooh. after that, what is your game you're most looking forward to playing this year? Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to the first question, which was favorite game of all time. I realized, I recently realized what my personal favorite game of all time is. And it's a Mega Drive game or a Sega Genesis, as I called it when I was a kid, uh, called Captain America and the Avengers. And it's probably the game oh. I played the most ever. And I didn't, even, I didn't even realize how much I played that game until I put on like gameplay of it and I was remembering every single detail. I can't say that for any other video game I played, but I was remembering when bosses were spawning in, how to beat the bosses, what the strategy was, even down to the background music on the, in the game. I was humming along to it. And I realized I played a lot of this game. I beat it over and over and over again. Um, and it's a game where you play as Captain America and a team of Avengers, including Hawkeye and uh, Iron Man. And I love, at first I love that they included Hawkeye because I don't think Hawkeye gets enough love as a character. No, um, and uh, I like the fact that you could switch between the characters or play as different characters throughout the course of the game. And it was just, it just brought the, all these memories flooding back. And I was like, oh my God, I like a lot of video games. But I love this video game. I remember this video game. That's my favorite video game of all time. And it's, a, it's that connection with it. Not the, it's not the best video game of all time. Because that wasn't the question, was it? No. It is what is my favorite video game of all time. And that's you know, It's interesting you say you love it and you have that connection. Because I think I have that with The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Because it's a game that I know back to front. I could sing you a wonderful game now. But I won't. I play it. I make a pilgrimage to go back to the game every single Christmas day and play it. And like you've just said, it's a game that I love. It's not probably not the best game anymore. Um, certainly not the best Zelda game anymore, but I think it is, it's a game that, as you said there, that I just love. I Absolutely. Just and that to me is a sign of something more important, not just, Oh, this game blew me away. It's what you keep going back to, what you think about, what you, what you have that emotional connection to the most. I think that it doesn't matter what game it is. It could be, you know, the worst video. It could be Glover. And now listen, I used to play Glover, Glover. a lot. I used <laughs> to play Glover a 
on the N64. It's not the worst video game, but it's not the best either. I mean, we're talking about worst video game in the world, Superman 64. If you love that game. Oh, my God. That I, I feel bad for you, but hey, you can lo- you do you. You love what you love. But wow, <laughs> that game. I haven't thought about that game for a while. That was a game that I had to justify that I liked it because it was so expensive. And I bought it with like allowance. And I was looking forward to it so much. And I made such a big stink about how, how excited I was. I, I gritted my teeth and said, this, is a, this is game is great. This <laughs> game is fantastic. And it was horrible. Horrible game. But um, yeah, it's, it's what you have that emotional connection to. It doesn't matter what the game is. And Ocarina of Time, that's a landmark game. That was, that was a genre um, uh, landmark for role-playing games and adventure games at the time. Hey, oh, I like I say this with my hands on my heart right now. Without Ocarina of Time, you, you don't have Grand Theft Auto. You don't have Red Dead Redemption. You don't have The Witcher. You don't have... Oblivion or Skyrim. Yeah, yeah, you do not have Absolutely. so games without that Guess game. who was playing Ocarina of Time when it came out and who grew up to make those games that you just mentioned? Exactly. All those guys grew up playing, the, playing Ocarina of Time. Yeah. I think, isn't it Todd from Bethesda says a lot about the Zelda games. Todd Howard, yeah, yeah, when he's talking about how they came up with concepts for Oblivion and especially Morrowind, yeah. So you can see a lot of the Zelda stuff in Morrowind, especially. All like the crazy big mushrooms and stuff like that. (laughs) And they're still doing it. I mean, we had Breath of the Wild. I'm literally going through that now. On my Switch Lite, it's amazing. I've never finished a Zelda game in my life. I had the original NES uh, Legends of Zelda with the gold cartridge and I didn't get past the first like 20 minutes of the game uh-huh. didn't, get in, didn't get off that little island that you start off on um, but when I, when I booted up Breath of the Wild I'm like okay I'm going to commit myself to finishing this game I know, I know it's going to be a big game and it just sucked me in and I loved it loved I've it. got like 210 hours in Breath of the Wild and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still playing it you get all them seeds get all them, uh, <laughs> no because no, I, I, I know what the end goal is and I'm not going to do that to myself. I got the game on release day. I actually bought a Switch on release day. That's exactly what happened to us. We got suckered in. We bought a Zelda machine. Wow. What a a revolutionary game that is. Yeah. Um, I'm not even doing quests. I'm just doing whatever I want. And I just keep doing it. That's the beauty of it. You can't go anywhere and do anything. The open world genre was getting a bit Ubisoft. It was getting all a bit kind of everyone was doing it. And then when dynasty warriors another favorite series of mine did the open world and it failed miserably awful when zelda said they're going open world i was like okay please no yeah the beauty of it is that is yes this is massive open world but it's got that touch of magic it's got that zelda magic but link going around on his uh, on his adventure you know finding things that are iconic in the series. Mm. It's a totally different game yep. um, as far as like story, but it's got all the familiar things, just like a lot of the games. They're all, they're all different and linked in different ways, but um, they all have that core, those core things, you know, that you remember from, from all the other uh, Zelda games. And it's got that magic. So th- yep. things that can be boring, like the rock climbing and stuff like that, that's got that magic. You know, the open and world you know, and all the different environments and all the different enemies that you can face off, that could get really repetitive. But the way well, the best thing the about the game is is uh, I'm sort of, I'm a big fan of the Assassin's Creed games, um, and the the longer they went on, sort of they were tutorialized and for about forty hours into the game. I yeah. remember yeah. overwhelming. 
overwhelming games three you know you play the first 12 hours as a tutorial and it's just silly but breath of the wild did this thing where it kind of you you come out of the you come out of the shrine of resurrection and you talk to the lovely old man and he just goes yeah guess what bye and that's it. <laughs> the world is your oyster. Yeah, and here's a stick, you know, little boy. Good luck. And you're like, oh, yeah. Right. It teases it, 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 it out. So you, you get your hand held for about five minutes and you get yeah. three hours to play with that. Then it's like, oh, here's a new thing you can do. And then you play for a few hours. Oh, here's a new piece of armor, new level of this or level of that. It's beautifully paced. That game is beautifully paced. Mm. And um, that's the thing. And I'm a big fan of the Assassin's Creed games too. But, you know, when the map, like doubles in size and you just you look at the members just nothing but icons and you're like what is going on and then you on yeah, top of that definitely. you have now a lot more role-playing elements so you've got like clans and you get teams that you can send out on missions you can build a homestead all that stuff got too much for me and i, I, I haven't uh, played a whole bunch uh, i played uh, assassin's creed 2 which started to have the factions that you can send out on missions but that was about it uh played assassin's creed origins which is amazing fantastic game visually stunning. yeah it was um uh but again you know once they went, started going to odyssey it became much more of a role-playing game and a much bigger game the nautical uh, uh element to it i didn't take to that i don't care um, for that as much as people love it i'm mm-hmm. like this is this is this is not the same type of game i'm not looking to play this this is adding like an extra hour or two to of a different game type that i'm not personally interested in if you it's, see, if other people are, that's great, but that's not something I was looking for. See, I did I uh, my specialization, um, my degree, and everything was was always sort of centered around ancient Greece. So for me, Odyssey was was like a dream come true. Assassin's a lot Creed, of favorite Greece, game, yeah. incredible. Um, I have to say that the ship combat stuff, Assassin's Creed Four, um, is one of the reasons along with Pirates of the Caribbean the film and Pirates of the Caribbean the ride at Disneyland Paris Assassin's Creed 4 is one of the reasons I wrote my book about piracy because it's one of the best games right. ever made that's Black Flag right Black Flag yes, yeah it is yeah, yeah see I, I never played that one I heard how good it is I have it but it's like I gotta dedicate some time to it I know it's gonna be good but it's not just I don't think it's just the pirate gameplay in, in that game that makes it great though is it I think it's everything else that they did with like the story, yeah, yeah. intrigue that really fed people, uh, you know, fed into people's passion for that game. But when they start adding, started adding that gameplay element, because there was also that in Assassin's Creed Three, because that was the Revolutionary War in the U.S., right? Yeah, with the American yeah. Indians. Yeah. yeah. So there was there was a boat gameplay in that one, and then they just did even more of it, made a whole game about it, pretty much, with Part Four. But then the other games kind of dropped it but it was still there because people loved it so much and that's kind of what bothered me about the other games is that it made such a it it shoehorned in that gameplay to this other game yeah i didn't really get it it's like buying mario kart and then going oh hang on you you're gonna be a sniper for the next three levels yeah 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 yeah. i get that (laughs) i've never seen that edition well, that was a DLC. It's japan only i don't know why i said japan (laughs) but japan (laughs) only (laughs) That's one of those little power-ups you get in the little diamond things. Bowser gets a sniper rifle. Yeah, 50 cal and just starts capping fools, yeah. It would be like buying, like, The Last of Us 2 and then having, like, the villain clearly defined in the first sort of uh, two hours of the game and then spending 12 hours of the game later on playing the same villain. Oh, it's like, yes, I'm, I watched PewDiePie play that. Um, 
because I don't have a PlayStation because I'm an Xbox child. Um, and <laughs> who wants to play 12 hours as flipping Abby? Like, what is that about? I think it's the, going back to the storytelling technique of knowing your enemy and, and understanding your enemy. I get that. But when you're playing a game that's coming off of it, you can do that maybe part four mm. of a series. But in part two, when you've gotten so into the story of of Ellie, is it Ellie? I've never played Yeah, yeah, Ellie and Joel, yeah. Yeah, Ellie and Joel, you get so into their story and you want to see how that story grows in part two. And to have that jarring moment where you're playing as somebody completely different for a big chunk of the game, it's their way of telling a story that also betrays people's passion for the game. Yeah. Now, people love the game despite that, but they were taking a, that's a creative decision. Mm. That's a creative decision to understand your enemy, to maybe even humanize the enemy so that you, so that when there's this final conflict, there is more than just, I hate you, you hate me, you know, we're, we're butting heads here. It's more a case of why do they hate each other? Why do they feel the way they do towards each other? And what does that mean for their actions going into the class. Yeah. I think I, it, all that. I just didn't like it. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. I would, be, I would feel the same way. And but I took it to the end thing where, where they do the face off with Ellie and Abby. Mm. And after playing 12 hours as Abby and her ending up where she is, Nelly going into where she does to eventually fight her. Yeah. It's like there was no point in it anyway, because without spoiling anything, for people that haven't played it, because I'm obviously that's not my bag. Um, it's a letdown. It is. We'll do a last of a centric episode later on when I've calmed down. But um, <laughs> in 2027, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need time to reflect on this. Once Stu's yeah, out of the priory, yeah. <laughs> when I'm a bit more zen about things, but it's <laughs> the strangest thing ever because um, I got, get what they were trying to do. It just I don't think it really worked, and it's just it seems to have caused such a such a divide in the uh, fandom that i was just like, gonna I, say they took a risk and they they took a risk at alienating fans like yourself yeah. which, which is great um, I said, well, you know, at the end of the day it's better they took a risk and just phone it in and just give the same old i same. agree but, yeah it's 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 good to take a risk it's also important that you know your audience and know who you're speaking to and if you're going to create a game that's like this is my vision if you're going to pull a hideo kojima and say this is my vision i don't care whether you like it or not i'm going to create this thing to be creative and to do what I want to do. Kind of going back to like doing things like YouTube and Twitch. Yeah. Doing things that you want to do your way is important. You got to have your own voice and your own vision. And this is your story. If you build up a lot of goodwill and a lot of expectation from your audience, because you've created something and then now you're going to do something that almost, I want to say betrays. Cause that's what it probably feels like. It feels like they betrayed the audience. Then you, you are, pushing it to the brink where you're going to push people away and that's a fine line if they decided that they want to do that that's their decision i'm never going to take that decision away from them as creatives no matter if they're making a multi-million billion dollar franchise of video games mm. uh, they are still at the end of the day creators um but at the same time they have to expect that it's going to alienate mm. a chunk of the fans and it's not just because they don't care for the themes of the game there was a lot of backlash uh, of this of this game because people were upset because of the themes of the game. I'm not going to get into the controversy regarding that. You know that theme that you allude to? Yeah. They were complaining about it, but Naughty Dog alluded to that heavily in the DLC for the original one. 
Yeah, they knew it. Years ago, it, it, so was, it was definitely no surprise to anybody that played the first game in the DLC. It's, it's I never precious, played it. I knew that. You know, yeah. it's 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 not a surprise. But what I'm saying is, they tried to they tried to hide or trying to blame the out the outcry and the frustration and the disappointment on and say that people are upset about the story because of that element that people don't yeah. like. Instead of okay. admitting, hey, we made we took a big risk, we ourselves flip this story and put people into a different perspective for a good chunk of the game mm. hey we have to accept that we are going to lose some fans or fans are going to be upset because we are messing with their expectations you don't start blaming the fans and saying you're wrong because you don't like this one thing when that's not really the case and not what fans are complaining about i think that's the thing the creative director director sorry of naughty dog neil Druckmann. um mm whilst he is extremely intelligent and a very interesting person, I think he's got to the stage now where he's like, the Uncharted games was such a success. The first Last of Us was such a success. I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter what you think. Feels untouchable, yeah. And you have to understand nobody's untouchable when it comes to uh, the mass audience, uh, especially video game fans. Video game fans love to get their dander up. Well, we've got Um, a big (laughs) HBO series of it coming soon, haven't we? Adaptation at some point. Yeah, we do indeed. Of the Last of Us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's a franchise now. We're, we're oh yeah. yeah so. a, these are these these games make big money. Yeah, There's a lot oh, of money these games. Cross knows uh, who's, who's who's playing who or who's doing what. I haven't really checked into it, but it's become yeah. a big franchise now, and it's one of these things. It will it will be, you know, my 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 worry is um, when they do a third game, which they'll obviously do because there's a TV show coming and stuff. Who's actually going to really trust them at this stage after they kind of messed up <laughs> this one, you know? I don't know. I think, I think because this, the, the sequel, the second game is a blockbuster and breaking sales records and continuing to set records all over the place. I don't think they're too worried about how people are going to enjoy the, the game. Yeah. I think, sorry, the series. I think they know that people, they, they've got a, an audience that is still hungry for more of this story and this more of this world. And, uh, and it's okay for them to accept that, hey, we're going to make this creative decision about how we're going to tell this story and people aren't going aren't to like it. They, they, took a, uh, they took a risk and they knew that, you know, either people are going to hate it or going to love it, but it is what it is. But people have accepted it. That, that, that storytelling technique that they use, people are, are still uh, obsessed with this game and loving this game. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think you can tell as well that they are like, or they were regretting it as they did it. Because watching it through, I won't spoil anything, but they keep on doing loads of flashbacks to like the good times. Mm. And I we have a flashback inside of a flashback, and I'm thinking... Yeah, yeah, it's like I'm watching Inception. I'm like, was Christopher it, was Nolan's going to jump out in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but did it take you out of the story? That's the issue, you know? And when you, do, when you do so many flashbacks, you run the risk of, again, taking people out of the story. It's getting, getting too convoluted now. People can't get any emotional attachment to what's going on mm. because we're busy going back and forth. It's a fine line. They took a, they, th- they straddled this razor's edge. Um, and it seems like they, they paid off because the, I the, think they did really well. Like even though I didn't play it, mm. I think as watching it, I, I must've watched, what is it like 15, 16 hours, the story. Mm. There was never a moment where I thought I'm going to stop now. No, the only thing that I say was, by the time you got the ending, it wasn't like a satisfactory ending. It was just like, well, at least that's over, basically. It, it didn't really have a satisfactory Yeah, I think they did again. They were kind of go, they went for the ending that gives them a sequel, didn't they? 
Yeah, you yeah, it. yeah. Again, because it's a multi-million billion it's a, dollar franchise. It's a multi-franchise. Exactly that. That's the thing. And I, I think I know what they were doing there. I, it was good there. The TV series. Game, gameplay I bloody loved. I thought it was quite good. You, oh, I think it's the rope swinging, all these little additions. I thought were fantastic. It sounds really strange that, like, although I've not played it, it's my game of the year. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. It's really weird. Like I've played some games I love. Game, you can imagine what yourself playing the game. You don't need to. Oh, hundred percent. Play a game to make that call. You know, this is the game of the year. Talking about the the games that I'm looking forward to the most. Yes. And what I think is going to be a game of the year. Uh, a little game called Cyberpunk 2077. I was thinking, please say it, please say it. <laughs> <laughs> Cyberpunk I, 2077. I'm a big geek, so I'm going to live out my cyberpunk fantasies. Uh, if, if if only it was VR, I would just plug in and that would be it. I would just live in that game for the rest of my life. Oh, it would literally be like my Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah. just, I would just go. Um, but I've, have you been watching these new like little... Night City blocks? Wires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little, oh, my God. The girl that I didn't see the, the latest really one. I'm, sa- I'm saving that for when I can just sit down and pay attention. Yeah, um, I watched it kind of like as the stream and it was quite busy and the, you know they like cut it up and put it around their stream. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it still looks amazing. But it went through some really interesting stuff. And like I think the only thing I hope is they stop delaying it. That is my worry. Uh, they keep, they've delayed it twice at the 91-day mark and we're approaching that 91-day mark within the next few days. Mm-hmm. So only time will tell if they're going to delay it again. If they I'm are, scared. it's probably going to be at the 91-day like, I mean, I've no, got, I'm holding my breath. The only oh. game I have on disc currently is The Witcher 3 because right. to me it's like the epitome of gaming from I've an told, RPG. I've told myself, uh, and I agree, I've played a bit of it, I've told myself and I've told all my friends and they know this. If you see me playing Witcher 3, then you know that I'm riding off into the sunset. I'm never playing another video game in my entire life. Exactly. That's going to be my last video game I ever play. Oh, it would be a good last video game. (laughs) It is incredible. I pre-ordered that at EGX, which is the Eurogamer Expo. Yep, yep. Uh, I pre-ordered the, or I bought, I can't remember how it worked out. I can't remember. Uh, But I got this special edition uh, uh, when we came, they came, it came with like an extra map and book and all that. It came with a foil uh, sleeve for the Blu-ray case. Yeah, that's uh, all signed by all the the developers of the game and all that. It's not really signed, but you know, it's got all their signatures all wrapped yeah. around. I got home. I played it for about three or four hours. Got into the first few missions. Uh, got to meet like one of the first major characters in the game, and then I was I got either distracted or I got overwhelmed. I'm like, this game is so big and I put it down and I keep getting insulted by my friend. If he's listening now, my friend, Nick, because he, he was there with me when I bought it and how hyped I knew how hyped I was for that game. He keeps asking me, so you played Witcher three, you played Witcher three yet, DeAndre, did you play Witcher three? When are you, when are you going to play that Witcher three? And I keep telling him I'm going to play it, but that's going to be my last video game. I will play that oh, game. Oh man. I think you should stream it after Red Dead. <laughs> well, what I'm doing right now as far as Twitch streams is uh, playing Resident Evil, which you got, I think some of you guys watched. Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil 1. Then I'm going to be playing Resident Evil 5 and 6 with my friend Nick. Uh, we're going to do that co-op. And then I'm going to play 7, and then that's going to lead me into Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that game. It's a very ambitious uh, game, Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, I've, I've got a pre-order in for that one. I don't usually pre-order games. I usually wait until they're very cheap. Um, but I got that one on pre-order and that's the thing I'm worried about. I think the most with businesses going under, I'm worried that the 
the the company that I bought the pre-order with because I got the special edition from Game, and I'm worried about them. I, I, they've they've gone into administration before. And I'm worried they about have. Them. I'm worried about them going into administration before uh, November, and if they delay Cyberpunk 2077, then I'm even more worried. I think I'm thinking they're going to struggle to to make it past the holiday season after that. I think games look like they're now flipping like tablets and phones and stuff more so than they're selling yeah. games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Physical but, games are going out, you know, going out of fashion. Yeah. And, which is a sad thing. I'm all about physical media. See, I am, but at the same time, I love the convenience of um, going on my Xbox, going onto game pass and clicking it and it's downloaded and I'm on it and that's it. Yeah. So I totally when you've got to internet like me, that, that doesn't work very well. Yeah, you and that's know. always that's always a, the trade-off, and I, I feel bad for people who don't have access to either good internet or, you know, uh, a, a very fast computer with a big hard drive, you know, where you can where you can download these games and play them. Mm-hmm. You know, having a disc is uh, is a way a lot of a lot of people still have access to games. As soon as we get rid of that, you're cutting out a massive amount of people from enjoying the thing that they love. Yeah. I think that's why I'm glad Sony went with the two versions of the PS five, actually speaking of like the future, yeah. I'll get the digital one because it will work for me. But I think a good 50, 60% of people who the gamers that aren't the people we see on Twitter, they will just get the disc one because that's how they roll. Yeah. I'll have to. And like, it, my yeah, part exactly. of the world is, is a beautiful part of the world, but the internet is <laughs> about 1860. And we're so, talking like yeah. look at people in developing countries, you know, people in developing countries will be lucky if they even have stable electricity, let alone an internet connection. So, but they, they have Xbox, they have old Xboxes, they have old, um, old systems yeah, and cartridges still. And, uh, you know, I'm, my family, uh, I'm half Mexican. My father was Mexican. And so I went, I would go to visit my family in Mexico and it's like going back about 20 years. Oh like, Yeah. Uh, we're we're concerned about Netflix and all that, and hey, we're going to bin Blu-rays. DVDs are still a major part of how people enjoy entertainment in a lot of the worlds. And even I'm like, DVDs? Are you kidding me? That's ancient, but that's that's a lot of people's reality. And I think people need to look beyond their own needs and their own. And this is not aimed at you, uh, Al, but their own conveniences. Yeah, if they're going to push so many people who can't afford or don't have access to certain ways of enjoying entertainment uh, as being the future and what replaces everything, you know? No. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm totally with you on that. I think we're, we as the fortunate ones leave behind a lot of the other people. And especially like with you, from your perspective, I like that that's how you perceive the world because it means that people mm. that are able to get online in places like that will be more receptive to you because you're kind of thinking about, the way they would do things as well yeah I, t- I try and i try and not to think of just how i do things and what works for me i try and think of um people that aren't as fortunate as i am and you know i've, I've had a you know difficult life you know i've had uh challenges uh but i still look at myself as fortunate and lucky um uh when i know that there are a lot of people out there struggling you know paycheck to paycheck struggle yeah um, and you know, having the opportunity to enjoy a movie together, that's like everything to them. 
You know, they, they're lucky if they even get five minutes with their dad because he's always working or mom, because she's always working, working two jobs, single mothers. You know, I grew up with a single, uh, with a single mother as my, uh, as my mother, you know, taking care of me. She didn't have time for anything, anything like that. So when we did get to enjoy stuff together, it was a big deal. And mm-hmm. if I'm not able to access these things because I'm locked out of them because I don't have good internet or even any internet, um, then yeah, that, that, that's when I start thinking people need to be aware, hey, it's not all about me. Just like the whole idea of, oh, cinema just die and we should just stream movies at home. No, absolutely no not. No way. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Around by me, there's, um, well, not, I live in just outside London. Um, and in chelmsford there's they've just opened up a brand new like american style like drive-in cinema and i cannot wait to go until it's that's amazing i would love to do a drive-in love to do it's just like you know as a kid you see like films like greece and all these sorts of things and Mm. you go i want to do that anything that's never going to happen in the uk and then now it does yeah you grew up watching those films and things like star wars you never see in the cinema you never you know unless you're a certain age you're not going to have seen alien in the cinema or star wars or greece and, you know, you're missing out on what it was like to actually enjoy those movies with an audience in that setting. I mean, especially Greece, watching it at a drive-in, that's amazing. Yeah, man, exactly. And I think like with this and like with the rebirth of things like driving cinemas, a lot of photography and filmmaking going back to like reel-to-reel and like film photography, I just think yeah. like, thank God for hipsters. Because Absolutely. we would, they're Absolutely. like bringing all the cool old stuff into the modern world and like you know digitalizing why? it to an extent. Do you know why J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, made uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens on actual film in the desert instead of doing it digitally like George Lucas did with the prequels? No. Because he grew up watching those films. He grew yeah, yeah. He wanted to become a filmmaker because of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And on top of that, he knows that grew up making super eight movies he grew up making films on film and so that was just an again it goes back to you develop a love for something when you're a kid and being creative and then you want to bring that creativity in what you do day to day is like either yeah. your hobby or your profession and he's doing it on a, on a big scale and they made it they made such a big deal out of filming the force awakens on film like the behind the scenes is about them having to deal with the heavy cameras and film in the hot desert, the sand and the grit getting inside the camera and all that, that's became part of this, the story of making those films. And I think that that gave those films something special that maybe the prequels didn't have. Um, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast. If you want to talk, talk about the Star Wars prequels. Oh, maybe actually that's got to be one for the future. Cause I've got plenty to say on that one. Do you know, I want to, <laughs> I sort of want to, want to move us towards a conclusion. Cause I honestly don't want to take up too much of your time. And, and the baby needs to go to bed soon. And that's not just Alex. <laughs> I'm allowed but, to stay up past 10.30 now. What are you on about? Really? Wow. You're so lucky. <laughs> um, no. So I, I, something I want to ask, because I think this is something that we probably share, or at least I imagine you may have been asked the same question. Um, so big horror fan, big fan of, of, of film and, and some of the very gory horrors as, as we've discussed, big gaming fan. And, unless I've completely misread the room, you're of course a male. Um, now I get this question a lot from people I work with, um, probably from my co-hosts here, Steve and Alex. People often say to me, 
why do you like Disneyland Paris? Why do you like Disney? You are a man, you are X, you are Y, you are Z. You know, you like Lord of the Rings, you like this, you like that. And people can't sometimes struggle to marry the two. Um, what is it? What is it about Disney? Because of course, this is how I found you. Of course, through the yeah. Disney videos. What is it about Disney that that you like so much? And have you ever been asked that question that I've been asked before I'm, so many times? Which I've been is... fortunate. I've been fortunate that I've never been asked that question. Oh. But I know that a lot of people do, especially adults and especially uh, yeah. men. You know, men that love Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that, I say, you know, if I were to be asked that question, why do you like it? And it's like, first of all, what is your issue with me liking something that I like? Whatever it is. Why yeah. do you feel like I have to like something else because you think I should? There's that element to it. But also, I like these things because um, I haven't lost my sense of imagination and my sense of joy and wonder. And I'm not sitting here, you know, in you know, a baby's bib, you know, being fed uh, baby food. I'm not a baby. I'm a grown man. So there must be something about these uh, properties, uh, these Disney films and Disney parks that appeals to me. It's not like it's just for kids, right? Um, And who do you think created the thing that kids and adults are enjoying? It's adults. Yeah. Adults who are very passionate about this same stuff. So we're not alone. We're far from it. Far from alone, especially now. Now is like the, the, the biggest time for adult Disney fans to be going to the parks. You know, I know not right now because of the situation that we're in. But, you know, I've seen a, 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 a surge in marketing and um, promotion and merchandise aimed at the adult Disney fan. And I think it's the yeah. thing that I see in common between all of these people is their sense of, of be, not being afraid to be happy, not being afraid to, to have that sense of wonder and joy that they remember having when they were a kid. It's not like you're still being a kid. It's not like you've never grown up like Peter Pan. I've grown up and I like a lot of different things like horror and gaming and things that contradict the Disney side of things that I like. You know, I think that says something, doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's not just one facet of, of, my focus and it's not one facet of anybody's focus even the hardcore disney fans the hardcore disney fans know everything about the park are obsessed about how they may they're made that's their that's their passion and again it has nothing to do with being a child or being childish it's about that keeping that sense of wonder and everything i've seen as far as like you know walt disney himself all the Imagineers who still work at the parks, people who actually, uh, uh, who actually are cast members and um, uh, work in the park day to day, that's their full-time job. They all have that. They all have that sense of happiness and joy. And, you know, they're humans. They have bad days and, you know, they're not happy all the time. That'd be ridiculous. But they haven't lost that sense of joy. They haven't lost that sense of understanding how to be happy. And that wonder of, imagination you know these fairy tales these stories again going back to the story element these classic stories that people grew up with for centuries just being mm-hmm. retold in a different way and then you can walk out of the park with a plush interesting yeah. to me that you say <laughs> that that sense of wonder because i was there last october for my 18th birthday 30th all right 
Oh, 30 is when I was there. I was Listen, there. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. 1830, it doesn't matter. Something that sticks with me, and I said this to my wife, and I think I've said this to Steve and Alex when we sort of recorded a little practice before this, is me and my wife stood outside Phantom Manor, and you, you've got the, the, the Molly Brown Riverboat going around. You've got the sort of ambient sounds of the Wild West from Frontierlands. And I said, genuinely, it is so difficult for my brain to comprehend that we are two minute walk away from fantasy land. Yeah. Because you lose yourself. You lose it. Just like you lose yourself in a good story. You lose yourself in this environment that has been meticulously created. It, 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 fantasy, the theming, everything is done so well that although I just turned 16 years old, I was there and <laughs> I was completely, as you said, lost in the imagination, in the wonderment of it. And I had, the best week probably of my life um and at the time i was still dealing with a major um, ruptured disc in my spine and that didn't stop me for genuinely for that entire week my ruptured spinal disc didn't hurt as much because i was lost in this crazy imaginative and so sometimes I've, I've said this to people at work who've, who've asked recently, a few people who like to have a gentle Josh occasionally, I've said to them, I, I don't think there's a place. Um, I've not had the good fortune to go to any other of the other parks yet, but I don't think I've ever been in a place where you completely forget where you are because you are in the moment. I forget that I'm yeah. in France when I'm in, in Disneyland Paris. I, oh yeah. That's the design. I mean, yeah. there's French influence everywhere all over the park. But it does. It is meant to make you feel like you're in a completely different place. Yeah. And, and, and you know really, why you had such a great time, despite all the the pain that you were in and all that, because you allowed yourself to. Exactly. So many people go there, and it's a chore to them. They don't allow themselves mm-hmm. to be happy. They're taking their kids because they want to. They want to uh, make their kid happy, but they're not allowing themselves to just relax and enjoy it with their kid. You know, they're just worried about how much is it going to cost them, and oh, it's hot, and I'm tired of standing standing in line but they're not allowing themselves to have that, uh, to have that uh, joy and happiness. Yeah. And if they did, they would have, they would have a much stronger connection with their kid that they'll, they'll create memories with the kid. They won't just be there as a passive, almost like an audience member to their kid having fun. They'll be there with them having fun and building memories with those, with those kids. And you know, uh, not just for their kids. I think you find a connection with yourself. I know a lot of people um, who are in, in love with this idea that I have to be an adult, I have to be a professional, yeah. I have to, you know, get the big house, get this, get that, do the car, do the, you know, do this very professional lifestyle. Career, family, you know, all these, all these things melt away when you, when you walk into the park. But that's the key, you know, you need to just, you, I found such unique happiness in myself because I was yeah, just... because you can lose, again, you lose yourself in, in, the, in the parks, you relax a little bit things kind of wash away mm. all the stress that you bring into the park and, and, and to, to these uh, theme that, I mean, it's not just Disney. I mean, a lot of parks share that mentality of, we want to put you to bring you somewhere else. Mm. So I think like, F, I think it's pronounced Effling and, and things like that. Yes. You know, there are these fantasy based parks because they want to create this fantasy world that you can go in and, and explore and, and imagine and have fun in because you can leave work and you know stress behind and maybe you can be a little bit more of yourself as a, as a result you can let your guard down a little bit because as a kid you were you were all about you know just having a good time and 
being yourself and enjoying. And it's not until you get older, you start developing things. Well, I have to be a certain way because people expect me to. I have to have a career in a certain field because that's what's done and that's what people expect of me. And you get you build up all these, I have to, and I should, or this is what's done. Uh, it builds a kind of like a wall around you and you got to break, break through that wall. And once you break through that wall, if you're at a Disney park, you can let go a little bit. You can relax. Yeah. I, I'm so relaxed and I'm more myself at a Disney park than anywhere else. And that's coming from a guy who is not afraid to be himself anywhere, or at least tries to be mm. to bring that authenticity um, wherever he is. I think I've mentioned it a few times already. I hope I have. But during the sort of lockdown period we experienced, um, I don't think it was particularly easy on, on many people from, from a mental standpoint. So I found myself going back to, to your videos, um, Justin's videos from Disneyland Paris. And I know you've had the amazing good fortune of, of seeing Philip, Geordie and Sophie. Oh, from yeah. The RP fans. Great um, friends. Amazing, Great people. Amazing videos. Uh, mate, I love their videos. I, I really do and i went back to those videos because in some of the darker moments of lockdown you know where, where the end didn't necessarily seem very close and of course with all the struggles of being a first-time parent in a time when i couldn't go to my parents for advice or my grandparents whatever i found it sometimes quite cathartic to to sit down with your videos uh geordie and phillips videos justin videos and just go back to that place and just wash myself over with a wave of calm and just think it's all right this isn't it you know just kind yeah. of and it was great and and they were sort of invaluable videos so again hopefully philip and geordie are listening to this i can only dream but again thank you to them as you said good friends of yours fantastic videos dlrp fans for anyone who wants to yeah, look them I'll up appreciate that they do yeah. they do it for what you know the reason i do it they do it for the reason justin does it and that's it just give somebody something to be entertained mm -hmm. by and you know just to enjoy it's not it's not a case of oh look where i am look what i'm doing it's like hey uh come along with me let's have fun together oh you know? do you know what was really heartbreaking was philip did a live video from disneyland paris and i'm gonna go on my magical computer and check the date because i went for my birthday for my 21st birthday last october and on the day we left which i'm gonna check because then maybe Philip will know. I think it was on the Friday, the 11th was my last day. I, I came back on the Eurostar. Me and my wife said, we're not going to go into the park. We, we woke up in Hotel Cheyenne. We had a very slow morning, had breakfast, went and looked around um, the studios for a bit. Then we looked around Disney Village. I built my own lightsaber. And my wife said, should we go into the park? And I said, no, I'm a bit sad about going. Don't worry about it. I get home and see that Philip has done a live video on that Friday. I could have met Philip. Oh, you just missed him. Oh, like that sticks. That sticks in me like a knife. That does. <laughs> oh, that's it's, so. It's it, it. It's fate. You know. It's, what are you going to do? It's. It's. You can't. Can't change it. But hey, yeah. you, know, you have those things to look back on, and you have that trip to think about. You know, and and that's so precious, so important. Mm. It really is. Do you know? I don't want to take up too much more of your time, and and it's getting late for all of us, and. I've had three bottles of Tally Ho now. So I got to try that down. I got to get a supply for myself. Really just, is good. Just for reference. Have I said it's like a fruit cake? Tally Ho comes in four litre bottles, doesn't it, Stu? <laughs> Mine do. 
<laughs> four liters. What is that? Keg? Just, yeah, like, pretty much. I like to, I like to sort of mix it with more tally ho because then it tastes really good. Um, so Deandre play where talk red. It's been absolutely fantastic. To have you on talk to you. I think it's safe to say that as long as it's okay with you, we can talk about getting you on again in the future to maybe talk about those star Wars prequels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that might cause some pain. I don't know. Yeah, just talk but about film overlay again. I was sitting here listening about that and just going, Oh yes. I'll tell you what could be a really fun idea could be a, uh, maybe we, we sit down somehow with, with, with zoom maybe, or even, uh, I don't know how it would work with zoom, but we could all watch a horror film with me. And watch me have oh, some. Get your reaction, your honest reaction. To yeah, this yeah, 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 that yeah. That'd be great. Let's watch uh, Ju on the Grudge. Let's watch that whole series of films. Uh-huh. Yes, I'll the be Japanese ghost, well. get Japanese ghost stories. You'd love them. Stuart. You guys have got to watch a great film called Nightmare City. Really bad. Oh, Nightmare bad. City. That's fantastic. Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> a love bad that horror movie, but by God, is it a bad horror movie? So Stuart, what, let's, let's think about it. Let's 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 see if we can't get something like that going. I'd be down for that. Yeah, I've had a great time talking with you guys tonight. Yeah, you're so yeah, interesting, man. Like, you know, like your streams are good, but like listening to you talk is just like a little bit like ASMR, really. <laughs> I've been told my voice is very soothing. Yeah, you man. have a cool, just, you have a cool accent. We're all just <laughs> thank you very much. Just yeah. English types, you know. I'm from me and Stephen from Essex. The exotic one. Alex right? is from the darkest end of nowhere. So, but your voice is like velvet. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I would love to do this again. Uh, It's great to meet like-minded people that are into all the same things that I am. And, and it's great to geek out with you guys. So do you want to share your, so um, do you want to share with the listeners where they can find you on all your social medias and everything? So I'm play word talk right every, pretty much everywhere you can find me. Uh, So all the social medias, Facebook, the only thing I'm not on is TikTok because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm too, I'm too old for that. I don't understand TikTok. What's the TikTok? Um, but everywhere, everywhere else. So, so Play Word Talk Red on YouTube. I still got loaded, even though I haven't uploaded loaded in a while. There's still plenty of content there. If you want to watch me live, it's going to be down on Twitch. So you can find me on Twitch at Play Word Talk Red. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's probably the best way to keep up with what I'm doing because I'm always updating my goings on. So Twitter at Play Word Talk Red. All one word. Play Word Talk Red. There we go. I got it out right. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, everywhere else you can find me there i'm always i'm always around very nice and gentlemen how can you find us i'll let steve go first oh you can find me on twitter at thy steve pearson that's thy steve pearson you can buy a copy of my book wrestling noir real in memphis available at www.wrestlingnoir.com that's www.wrestlingnoir.com in fact buy 10 of my books i gotta eat seriously go for it buy as many as you like hundreds of them (laughs) the editing is top notch yeah, it's, um, I hear the editing is the worst part, right, Steve? Um, uh, some bits, you know. <laughs> lucky, lucky you got it to to print. Yeah, man. After all that, lucky, lucky you got the editing for free. <laughs> so, <I'm lucky. laughs> Stu, where where do you reside? Um, uh, well, no, I can't say that online because people might come and find me. But if you want to find my online presence, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Green SG. And on Instagram at StuGreen1989, because as an author, I'm really good with words and coming up with different names for things. Yeah, unique. You are very unique. Really unique. It's just my name. Very nice. Um, And you can find us. No, Alex, sorry. Oh, yeah. You can find me. 
at yeah. Alex is life on Twitter and at Alex Garnet guitar for all of my guitar stuff. And if you want guitar lessons, hit me up because they're cheap. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at, at a right good tale. And on Twitter, we're at a right underscore tail. Cause someone else had already taken the other name. Um, apart from that, we have been Alex, Stu and Steve. This has been a right good tale. And we have been with Deandre play away talk red. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Hello. Hello, children. Hello there. General Kirk. I'll turn it off next. If not, Stu will make people.